I've been known to go too long on these podcasts, so I've actually started a timer. So I'm going to start my timer now. Okay. So now is when the podcast starts. All right. Uh, so who are you and what do you do sitting across the table from me? I'm just a random guy you picked up on the street and gave him a sandwich. The Uber Eats delivery guy just stayed. He just stayed. Yeah, DoorDash. My name is Aaron. I'm the commerce director at Weidenhammer. Not Weidenhammer. So it's, yeah, very clearly Weidenhammer. Magento partner does phenomenal stuff. One of our partners we've had for before the acquisition, we were partnered with the company and then even stronger nowadays. So you guys are definitely ramping things up. What do you tell people you do for a living? Because this is one of the things I struggle with because I can't articulate what I do for a living. What do you tell people you do for a living? Like off the street. Right. I usually tell people that I do whatever needs to get done on a daily basis, right? When you're basically running a Magento or e-commerce practice, there's some sales, there's operations, there's picking up coffee, there's, you know, clean up on aisle four, like whatever... Whatever needs to get done that day, you just go do it. You meet someone in the grocery store and they go like, oh, hi, sir. What do you do for a living? You say. I try not to make eye contact with them and I sort of like shuffle away awkwardly. Well, that's fair. I, yeah. uh, I tell people I'm a dog photographer is like my go-to or I, I say, that. or I say janitor. I believe that. Because no one wants to talk to a janitor. They're driving around in an Uber and people are genuinely not interested in me if I tell people I'm a dog photographer because right. I just say it straight faced. Right. Makes sense. It's my, I mean, it's. It's the best thing for ever. Where are you located and where is Widenhammer located? So I'm located in Springfield, Missouri with a small office there. And Widenhammer is headquartered uh, outside of Philly. Is, is e-commerce booming in Springfield? Like is it, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of talent there and from the development perspective. So is there, is there a lot of Magento presence there or is it? Well, there's one very large, somewhat famous agency there. And a good bit of the talent that's in Springfield now is, you know, are people who have had contact, you know, through that agency. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there is actually a lot of talent there. Springfield is the headquarters of Bass Pro Shop, O'Reilly Automotive. There are a number of large IT shops there that, that do things. So there's a lot of programming talent in the area. And then there's a lot of creative and marketing talent in the area. And it's coming together. Those two disciplines are coming together in e-commerce. And do you think a lot of that came from where I'm coming from on this is that, you know, Inchu from the Magento One, mm-hmm. the powerhouse over there. So they're in Osijek, Croatia. So I went to meet Magento Croatia last year. And one of the things that I found out was, is that this was a city that didn't have a lot of tech. And then Inchu was kind of the first one in there because Osijek is not on the coast. It's not where you see the beautiful beaches and the boats and yachts are. You know, they're kind of tucked away in the center of Croatia. But because they were the first one to kind of put their flag in the ground and say, hey, Magento is here. We're going to make this a thing. We're going to make this thing a thing. It became this massive thing. So there's all these like spun off agencies in Osijek and other parts of Croatia. So that's kind of in my head was like maybe Springfield. You know, I know there was a previous company that's kind of put the flag there, but has that kind of grown that community and ecosystem in Springfield, which I wouldn't assume is a massive tech place? It's not a massive tech place. It's not a massive place, right? Springfield is about 150,000 people. So yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. So it's not not enormous. Mm -hmm. Where's uh, Where's the best place to get a steak in Springfield? My backyard. Is it? Oh, yeah. Uh, come I've over. Heard, I've heard conflicting. You have to come over. So I went to Springfield two years ago. Right. Had a great time and got some really weird recommendations from restaurants from that uh, guy who drove me around. Oh yeah, right. It, yeah, that's that was. I was trying to bait you into saying that. Right. Yeah. That, that's what you got me on that. So let's talk about works. So Widenhammer didn't traditionally come from commerce, correct? That's they, correct. They yep. acquired 
in a commerce company, do you talk about them? Yeah, I can. So Weidenhammer is 41 years old, which makes it probably the oldest Magento partner out there, I would think. It's a long time to be alive if you're a tech company. I wasn't uh, personally around then, but it got its start in the old IBM mainframe in the late 70s, early 80s. So they, re- they did a lot of hardware and they did some, some software and then grew the practice, became Microsoft partners at some point, acquired a creative digital marketing agency, started doing that. So print, video, web, web advertising, online marketing, the whole thing. And so it's just sort of grown. The Magento agency was an acquisition, I think, about three years ago, three or four years ago. That sounds about right. The company right. you acquired was over here in Austin. Right. We knew the guys over there pretty well. Yep. yep. They got into the Magento space that way. Nice. How long did it take to get the practice actually up on its own feet? Would you guys say you're there right now? Oh, we're definitely there right now. I've been there a little less than a year. So next month will be my one-year anniversary. So it's hard for me to speak authoritatively about the state of what it was like two years ago. But definitely, I mean, as of today, it's a, you know, it's a team of 15. Everyone's Magento certified. We've, one of the things we've really been doing in the last year is codifying our practices, Mm -hmm. really trying to move into a, a mature software development shop really working on our relationships with industry partners like Shipper HQ and others to try to really carve out a niche for us. And that 15, that's 15 people on the engineering team in e-commerce or is that 15 people total? And the engineering e-commerce side, that's developers and solution architects. Right, right. And so what what projects have you worked on so far that like what what's been the most exciting project you've been a part of yet? Oh, the one that you can tell us about. That I can tell you about. Yeah, exactly. That. I know cuz you guys do some really cool stuff, but the right. ones that you can the ones you can tell our listeners at home about. There have been a couple that have been, from somebody who's been doing Magento solutions work mm. for a while, there are two that stand out to me as interesting. And actually, one of them is very much akin to the local candy company that you had here. Oh, Lamb's uh, Candies. Lamb's yeah. Candies. A few weeks ago, I guess. That, that yeah, a few weeks ago, yeah. I heard it. But it's a, a chocolate manufacturer in Scranton, Pennsylvania that's been around since, I think, the 20s. And they really pioneered fundraising as a big piece of their business. And so... That's the whole, like, with their schools, right? So your kid comes home from school. They've got an order sheet. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's chocolate instead of, like, magazines or Wrap, office gift, supplies. Yeah, wrapping paper. Wrapping paper, yeah. There are challenges there with on the shipping and fulfillment side, which it, that's interesting. The thing that we had to solve for them was how to take a fundraising process that is offline today mostly, uh-huh. right? And how do you digitize that? How do, you, how do you service all of the different users who are part of a fundraising campaign for a school? The parents, the relatives, the kids, the teachers, the organizers. How do you digitize that experience and make it so that when the kids come home, not with a paper order form, but with a URL, or they get an email to the URL, go here, handle, handle the attribution, handle the custom catalog building and pricing that goes into it. That was an interesting, that was a very interesting project of scope. Well, we were done building it. It hasn't launched yet. In fact, I think they're having a call with you guys today to talk about shipping. They are. So yeah. what, what did you build them on? Are they on commerce or enterprise? They're on commerce cloud. Yeah. Commerce cloud. Nice. Yeah. We don't say enterprise. That's really an outdated term, Quentin. Oh, I forgot. Sorry. Ben, Ben's corrected me on that a couple of times on Twitter. So what did you use natively? Like what were the pieces that made Magento the, the home run for those guys? Well, I mean, it was definitely... Anything we did was going to be a giant step up. The current site is Cold Fusion. Uh, it's not mobile friendly. Oh, I remember this site. I remember yes. when you went through this RFP, you sent me that snippet of code, and I was like, what is this? Exactly. And Daniel was like, Quentin, that's what Cold Fusion is. And that's I was right. like, I don't even know what that is. Yes. It was way before my time. Yes. An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, so Magento Magento is a slam dunk for them. They want to do online transactional B2B so for their wholesale business. And so that made a lot of sense. So they have different personas, right? They've got the fundraising persona. Mm-hmm. The regular retail, direct to consumer, I go online, I want to buy chocolates and ship them. And then they've got the wholesale piece. And so a platform like Magento made a ton of sense because you can house all of that in one instance. So is there, so someone like that would, could you ever find a home on like Shopify for a site like that? Do you ever see that ever being like a viable platform for someone Hmm. with customizations like that? That's hard to say. The last time I took a deep look at Shopify, the answer would be no. And that's because the kinds of customizations that we're having to do to make this work require direct access to the database and the file system for integrations and for the actual fundraising experience, the management of the lists and things like that. Got it. So that would require, you could probably do it on Shopify if you were comfortable building almost like an entire parallel app and hosting it yourself and using the Shopify API. But at that point, you're really just doing it to say it's on Shopify or something like that. Yes, yes. Yeah. What's your sweet spot then? Like what what is what is Widen Hammer targeted and focused on? Like what what would you say is the if as merchants listening at home, what and I say, you know, I really want to look at an agency because sometimes people come up to us and say like, you know, I'm looking for someone who does this like the customer I emailed you about this morning. Like we know what we have an idea, but what what do you guys target? What do you guys go after? I'll I'll give that generic answer that everybody gives, which is that we serve the mid-market. People sort of decide for themselves whatever the hell they think that means because everybody means something totally different. Adobe's version of the mid-market is different from you mine. You should ask Vertex what their mid-market is. I have. Is. I had and that it's conversation, hilarious. yes. It's hilarious. Yes. So what do you see as the mid-market? Damn it. <laughs> you knew that was coming. Yeah. For me, the mid-market is anywhere from $10 million a year in online revenue up to about $100 million a year okay. in online revenue. Those are numbers I made up. They're not. That's not from like a, a Forrester study or anything. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, it's a good number to have in your head. I, I, I keep sure. mine kind of. I keep mine kind of balanced around the same. What's amount. yours, Quentin? I, I like to. I say like ten to one fifty. Okay, I, that's kind of what I have just like rattling around in my head. I mean, like I said, if you talk to Vertex, it's like five hundred to a bill. Right, is theirs, right. and I'm just like. That's not mid-market. Well, and specifically for us, that's online revenue, right? Exactly. Because we, so we, the other thing that we do a lot of is what I would call B2B, right? Manufacturing, mm-hmm. wholesale, and distribution. There are a lot of those companies moving to Magento right now. You know, the, the part of Philly that we're outside of, headquartered, is industrial, right? Yeah, you guys, are off, of you guys are off a main line, so yeah. there's a lot of manufacturing there's a lot of manufacturing, there. and so Widenhammer has kind of grown up. Widenhammer, you know, it sounds very sort of like <laughs> Arm & Hammer. You might have, I work with companies where the offline revenue may be much higher than the numbers that we were throwing around, but they're trying to goose that online number a little bit, right? They're trying to move an offline process, you know, for ordering away from like fax machines and call-ins to... What do you see the catalyst of that is? So I have an idea in my head of it, and then some of it's kind of, you know, because we talk to these people, the B2B people, no online presence at all, moving millions and millions of dollars worth of revenue, just moving packages and packages and packages, but it's all offline. They'll say, oh, you know, we call the phone and... Miss Shirley will look at her zone chart and say, Miss Shirley will tell me, hey, it's $125 to get that package down the road. What do you see as the catalyst that's making those people go from offline to online? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think there's three things driving it. I think one is buying patterns are changing. Um, The purchasing, so purchasing officers for companies Mm -hmm. expect a digital experience now, right? They're my age or your age. I'm not going to go into how much of a gap there is there. But all of us expect an e-commerce experience. A few years ago, several many years ago, I worked in the 
insurance space. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing, right? You can go to a, the, your, our parents' model, which you go to an agent, go find the agent, had the office in the strip mall, first name Coach, right? You go buy your, <laughs> you go buy your homeowner's <laughs> policy and your, your automotive policy. But now Progressive has taught us all that we should just go online and oh, yeah. buy our insurance. And for B2B purchasing, it's the same thing. And so there's an expectation now. It's not like a go to our website to view our About Us page and say, okay, there's the board of directors, and I'm gonna, now I'm going to call my rep. It's I'm going to go to the site. I'm going to see the board of the directors. I'm going to see the shipping policy. I'm going to see the payment and terms policy. And I'm, I want to view the products. I want to mm. see the product details. I'm going to make a decision to buy online. But I think a lot of companies are seeing that if they don't have something, they're going to be asked for it. That's, oh, yeah. one, that's one of them. One of the drivers is operations, right? Mm-hmm. Efficiency. Margins are shrinking everywhere, you know, except with the exception of, I think, certain sort of direct-to-consumer brands, certain segments that are somewhat insulated from that. Uh-huh. In the manufacturing and distribution space, there's been a trend for a long time of shrinking margins. Most of my customers talk about this to me all the time. And so they may say, well, you know, I do X number of hundreds of millions of dollars a year in revenue, but my costs are not that far off. And so my capital to fund cool innovations is actually not as much as you might think it would be. And one of the things that they're looking to do is make it cheaper to get orders and ship them to their customers. One of the interesting things at Meet Magenta New York, one of our customers who I've never met, uh, Eros Wholesale, they do socks. Uh, I was talking to their president and he looked me dead in the eyes and goes, son, I'm going to teach you something that you've never heard before. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I wonder what it is. (laughs) He looks me dead in the eyes and goes, margins are everything. He goes, you don't need to sell a lot. You just need to have good margins. And he tapped me on my shoulder and said it was nice to meet me and then just waded off into the party. That was good advice. Were you delivering food to him at the time? No, that, no, I was okay. off the clock. Okay, I was, I was just sitting down chatting. But it was, it was a very impressive thing to say. And you know, he's right. Yeah, it, it yeah. nails number two. Yep. What, so what's number three then? Number three is retirement. You mentioned Miss Shirley, mm-hmm. right? There are a lot of Miss Shirleys who are approaching you know retirement, and the companies that I'm talking to are looking at, you know. You find a lot of family-owned, like, manufacturers and distributors who've been around for several decades. And, you know, the, the people there grew up with the business in a lot of cases. And now they're, they're having to think about succession plans. They're having to think about training in a way that they've never had to before. And to some extent, you know, one of the number one costs in the business is labor. And so people are starting to think a little bit about how do I build out processes for training the next generation of Ms. Shirley's to to handle the customer service, to take the orders, to handle the AR, to do the finances, to do the marketing. And when they look out in the in the pool, they'll find that all the new candidates kind of expect more from their employers from a technology perspective than a bunch of filing cabinets, mm-hmm. which is kind of the way it's been done for decades. And so, and, and you see this in the sales force as well. There's, there's, there are plenty of companies out there where they've had road reps for decades. A lot of those guys and gals are retiring. And it's oh, like, yeah. do I want to go hire a brand new sales force, transition all those accounts over, leak a bunch of accounts, or do I want to try to get capture those guys in an online experience now and retain the customers? That's I think those are the three big drivers. I completely agree with you. The part one is the one I see the most of you know, the B to the B to B expectations are getting closer to B2C. You know, they want to, they right. want the same experience. There's there's nothing there, there's no reason why they can't have it either. I mean, you can show LTL rates. We did a company there called Intelligentsia Coffee. They're a Magento oh, 2 yeah. Magento 2 customer. Um, I think they won an award maybe a year before, but they did the call and they had a such a nice woman. She worked on the logistics side. She helped route all the B2B orders and she was like, "Oh, we need we need her to be on this call from the shipping perspective. You know, we want to see get her feedback, you know, this is what she does." And we get on the call, and in the back of my head, I'm kind of worried because I'm thinking in the back of my head, like, 
Shipper HQ is going to replace this woman's job like that, like in an instant. But like, what does this mean for this woman? And so I called the e-commerce director and I was like, hey, before this call, you know, just want to let you know, like, this is going to make this easier. And the guy was like, don't worry about it. This is perfect because we don't ever want to displace someone from a job. We told this lady, told on the call what we could do and we could hear automated. And I just hear this on the table and this lady goes, that's exactly what I wanted to do. She said, I don't want to do any of this stuff anymore. And so this woman has transitioned her full-time gig was looking at these route charts and doing all this so she can go do other things and was like the happiest woman. And exactly. I, the e-commerce director telling me, and I was like, man, I really thought that was going to go the other way. They're like, no, man. You, it was like that woman's going to drive down to Austin and try to give you a hug. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you see this on the on sales channels too, right? Oh, yeah. Because sometimes you'll get, and I always give this advice to companies that are thinking of moving their sales model online is would you your sales got your sales your sales force right now is busy taking orders right over the phone through fax machines in person with a you know writing them down on a pad could they be upselling could they be you know um bringing in net new business could they be deepening their relationships with their customers if they weren't so busy doing administrative work that Mm -hmm. could be automated and that's that helps it helps make it click for some folks. It's like we're not trying to put people out of work. We're exactly. trying to find people who have an enormous amount of information and give them something with else. the company and the products and give them something else to do. Like develop content, for instance. I've seen I've seen some some companies where there's a, there's a lot of information about the content that's locked in people's heads, but nobody's ever had the time to go do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Um, content's king now. So you know if you can get some of those folks, those product experts and business experts on your side, and say, okay, you can stop doing the repetitive stuff you were doing before. I want you to go start writing articles. I want you to start report recording podcasts, things like that. Oh yeah, I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of things that people who are like specialists can do to help kind of allow them to do other things, which actually in somewhat of a weird way, I'm going to try to make the segue fit. You know, you guys are working on something right now to help merchants focus on their actual, you know, their actual, you know, store, not the website in your starter home. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, glad to. I think the tweets went live today. Oh, did they really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, so the starter home package is something that I've, I've wanted to do for a long time. I have a lot of conversations with merchants where, they need Magento. They need the flexibility. They mm-hmm. need the open nature of the community. They need the open source nature of the code. They need six product types and to create custom attributes on the fly and layered navigation and you know multi-source inventory and all the stuff that comes with it. But what they don't need right now is a lengthy design and discovery process. Maybe they would be fine with something that it just gets them live uh-huh. on Magento as quickly as possible. And so the goal is not even as much a, this is not, it's not a developer package, right? It's not mm-hmm. like you get X number of like, custom modules or hours or anything like that. We're really selling enablement, right? We're enabling merchants to go live with Magento faster and for less money. The goal is we have a, an internally built and supported front end mm-hmm. uh, theme. And is that like a version of like Venia or something like that? Or is it like your own custom? We took Magento blank and extended it. Gotcha. Okay. Um, you know, we everybody looks at Luma as sort of like Luma. That's what I meant to it's, say. Yeah. So think of it as Luma with lipstick. We're not extending Luma because that's not a good idea for reasons we don't have to go into. The idea is... It's solid a, and it's extensible. Past it's solid point. and it's extensible. It's supported by Magento. They are not deprecating the front end. So the goal is really enablement. We're building, honestly, more training time into the starter home package. We're trying to... Okay, we'll, we'll work with the Miss Shirley's and we'll show them how to import products, reassign things into categories, how to process orders, so that they can be operational and live with less friction. And then 
decide, okay, now I want to maybe let's let me optimize my checkout for conversion. Let me optimize my landing pages. Let me find a way to customize the, uh, like do like a guided purchasing experience or something like that. But for a lot of folks, those are aspirational goals, uh-huh. right? And sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're working with people, the aspirational goals really conflict with the budget. This is how can I get live and start generating ROI faster than if I went to, went through a, a sort of a long, a long process. So who is this targeted at? Anybody that needs it. Anybody Any- who's listening to this, who's like, man, that's me. That's so, for you. This is for you. For those who are listening, this is, this is for you. If you think in the back of your head, this is for me, this is for you. This is for you. So is this for, so like talking about like, let's say like I'm on big commerce and I want to go to Magento 2, this is a route for them, or I'm on Magento 1 and I'm going to Magento 2, or what about a customer who's on Magento 2 and it sucks? Do they still qualify for this? Anybody would qualify. Okay. Well, for anyone. Like there's no, there's no restriction around it. We can build it on open source. We can build it on... Magento Commerce, we can build it on Magento Commerce Cloud. Do you guys have time scales around it? Are you guys going to do it like Domino's if it's not done in whatever X amount yeah, of time? There'll be a pizza tracker, yeah. yeah exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, we're. I, I, it should be totally possible to do one of these inside of 30 days. I'll tell you what I tell all my customers, which is the holdup is never development. It's always trying to get my product data together, trying to get photography yep. together for my images, yep, trying yep, to figure yep, out yep. my shipping policy, right? So we're partnering with several best-in-breed service providers like ShipperHQ. So you guys are part of it. Never heard of that place. I, you never heard of it? Okay. The place where you uh, deliver food sometimes. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I stock the fridges there. That's you stock right. the fridges. You put, yeah, yeah, you, put, yeah. you put the sodas in. Exactly. Um, ShipStation and Clevu are part of the initial that's service providers. Strong, that's a strong it is, you know, base. It is. All good. All really good, good, really good providers. For the folks who come in on that program who are on the open source side or the commerce on-prem side, we're partnered with MageMojo. Oh, nice. Tossed up there. Yeah. There you go. So what do you see happening for all these customers like June 2020? Like I have in my head something like Y2K-esque. Like it's going to go... Have you been on Twitter lately, Quentin? This is... There's going to be a shark, a Sharks and the Jets dance fight later on. God, at, I hope so. Ajax, yeah. I, God, I hope so. That'd be so great. Yeah. I hope it's starting my... I might try to start a revolt. I'm on a, so I'm on a panel with uh, PayPal, the mobile optimization initiative. I might see if I can start a riot. Do it. If you put a mic in my hand, there's enough people in the room. I might say something dangerous. I'm all in. What can we do? What can I do to help you? Well, ask me whatever the question is, and I'm going to give a very explosive answer. Excellent. Just the most expletive-filled thing. What do you really see happening? Because like, I see in Y2K, everyone built everything up. Everyone was buying yeah, the yeah. rice and buying all yeah, the water. Yeah. So everyone's buying their extensions and showing it up. And then 2000 and hit, and then it was you know January 1st at 12.01. Nothing changed. Yeah. And it won't. I see that. It that, won't. Nothing, nothing's going to change. Um, you know, Mark Lewis and, and some other folks have been talking about this on Twitter are exactly right. Magento is, you own the software. Like, you're, you own your code. The only thing that's going to happen is if you are a Magento 1 Enterprise customer, mm-hmm. right, Enterprise, you will be out of compliance with your license at that point. Magento is going to say, you can't do that anymore. So you'll need to downgrade to Community Edition if you want to stay on Magento 1. And are they going to lose functionality from that? Yeah, they will lose if they're yeah. using some of the some of the some EE of the, only yeah. features. Then yeah, they will lose they will lose access to that code. There are replacements for most of that, or or were. But the, I mean, the truth is, like nothing is going to happen. It's not SaaS. It's not Shopify or Big Commerce or Miva or something where the vendor flips a switch and the lights all over town go dark. The implications of what happens when you're running out of date software are longer tail than that. If I had to guess, I would say that. I would foresee those folks are going to find themselves targeted from a security standpoint, even more than they already are. 
there are going to be people out there looking to take advantage of that, and there will be people out there deliberately trying to find Magento One merchants because they know that Magento, the company, is not going to be issuing security patches. Now, the community, there are a couple of community initiatives. Uh, I think the Open Mage project and uh, another one that somebody on Twitter will probably fill in for me because I've forgotten. Oh, yeah, this is a great plug for him. Do you have any merchants that are sticking around? Do you have any ones through Widenhammer that are saying, you know, I'm putting my boots and I'm digging in? No, no, we we retooled completely to Magento 2 anyway. Converted the last merchant uh, earlier this year who still had a Magento 1 presence, and I'm not taking net new Magento 1. I mean, from an agency standpoint, it's a lot of how you invest in your tooling and your practices. Oh, yeah. Magento 1 is kind of a different beast to to manage than Magento 2 in oh, yeah, I mean, respect. We went tools down on Magento 1 once Magento right. 2 was announced, and yeah. you know, there's a lot of functionality that... You know, we could have built out on Magento 1 and maybe made a few bucks off of, but it was about building for the future. Like Magento exactly. 2 was the future. I'm not going to build these crazy custom features for Magento 1. And I think we've, we had conversations about those where you're like, I need this. And I'm like, I just, I can't build it on Magento 1. Right. There's It'd no be reason. great for this one customer, but I, I can't get a second customer who wants the same thing. But on Magento 2, I might. Exactly. Exactly. I think, I think about that sometimes about, you know, I talk to, I still talk to other agencies and people a lot and they'll say, you know, I have a customer who's just hard headed. They're not going to leave Magento one. They just said, you know, bring it on. Those are the ones that I kind of wonder in the back of my head. And I feel for those folks, right? Oh yeah. It's in my business interest to sell people on Magento two migrations, right? Oh yeah. Or new builds. I want to be really, you know, clear that nothing bad is going to happen to you in June, 2020 necessarily. You just increase the amount of risk and uncertainty around the e-commerce channel of your business. Right. And that's absolutely true. There are people out there stepping up to help with that and god bless them and i hope it works out well for everybody i really do i think there are a lot of people who probably shouldn't be on magento 2 where the complexity of the of the platform is more than they need and if they've got everything if they've got a responsive site and it's integrated and it's performing well for them on magento 1 i understand why somebody might want to stay yeah yeah, no, I'm with you on that. And then I, I think that one of the other things that's always worth doing, because we, we tell people, you know, we're platform agnostic, but we just tell them to go look at the other options. Because some of these Magento 1 customers that we have are, they just don't, they can't take on the technical debt of Magento 2. And so them looking at, you know, Shopify or BigCommerce or, you know, well, we'll just leave it at those two. You know, those are sure. great options. I mean, Woo, Woo is right, open Woo, source. And, yeah. you know, it's, I mean, it's it's easier to kind of build whatever you want. So the extensibility is there, but there's a lower upside where I think, you know, someone like BigCommerce and Shopify have better, like, base level products that are make a lot of sense for them. So oh, Magento 1 totally merchants. agree. And I wouldn't usually advise somebody moving off of Magento 1 to go to Woo, because if the thing that is bugging you about Magento is I have to own this stack and all this responsibility for the hosting and my PHP web app and all yeah. the security, blah, blah, blah. Woo may be cheaper than Magento, but that's not going to solve the pain point for yeah. you. A lot of the people that I speak with, the pain point is the total cost of ownership. It's yeah. not the, it's the security model and not always patching the soupy patches and stuff like that. That doesn't go away on Woo. One of the things that, and I don't know if you remember this, but whenever I went to Springfield when you were in your previous company, one of the things that I think won, like, won you a lot of brownie points, and I was like, this guy is awesome, is that you were on a solutions call with a customer, and you were at a Magento-focused agency, and you recommended the customer to go look at Big Commerce. So you guys turned, right. you guys turned the customer away and said, hey, you know, there's actually a better solution for you. You should really go look at that. And I remember that very vividly and hearing that and thinking like, wow. This guy's job is to bring these people through the door, get them built and get them moving like this guy. But he said, no, like, hey, you should go the other way. Well, but that's never how I've seen my job. Not then and not now. Right. My job is to try to leverage my experience to help people out. And it does no one any good to recommend a platform that is going to be a colossal failure for someone. Right. 
and I mean, I've had people ignore that advice. I've had folks say, no, no, I, you know, I want a Magento. I'm on the, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm I want drinking this. the Kool-Aid. I read the blog post. I looked at the, the, the magic quadrant and I was like, I want me that Magento. Is and, the magic quadrant bullshit? Uh, I mean, it depends on who you ask. All right. That's fair enough. How did you, so we're, we've got a few more minutes left, but I am genuinely curious about this because I don't know. How did you get into e-commerce? What was the lane in? Because you were in the Navy. That's correct. And you were a cryptologic technician. That's right. Which I don't even know what that means. Me either. Well, I mean, and, you, and then you also studied geosciences. Right. So none of it adds up. Like That's how, correct. How my, you, my career has not been a linear path at all. What's your, what's your two minutes? How'd you get into e-commerce? What's a cryptologic technician? And are dinosaurs real from geoscience studying? Okay, Take wow, that's a, that's a heavy topic. So we'll, we'll do the biography stuff first. So I got into e-commerce uh, purely through accident, right? So uh, I'd been bouncing around the, the tech world at product companies in totally different industries, insurance and healthcare, mm-hmm. um, as a consultant and product manager. And an opportunity came up to join this specific e-commerce agency that I'd never heard of working on a platform that I'd never heard of before. But I had a friend, I had a couple of friends who were working there and they, they recommended it. So I went in for interviews and ultimately ended up just jumping because I like to do new stuff, right? I like to learn new things. And it seemed like a really good opportunity. It seemed like a really cool company. And that's how I jumped into e-commerce. So that's the quick answer to that one. How I got into from the Navy to geosciences and then into tech is the short answer is I graduated, I got out of the Navy. And what does cryptologic technician does do and mean? Okay, you'll have to hold on. I got to get there, buddy. Oh, sorry. Okay, so we'll work backwards. So I got out of the Navy and I needed to go to college. And I went to college in a small town called Murfreesboro, Tennessee, Middle Tennessee State University. Go Blue Raiders. Nobody's ever heard of them. And I thought that maps were really cool. And I thought data was really cool. And analysis was really cool. And so I got a degree in that stuff. Worked as a police dispatcher. Worked for the county government doing emergency, like emergency services stuff. And at the end of it, I graduated in 2010. At I graduated high school in 2010. I hate you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this review's over. We're, we're graduation buddies. Right. We graduated of. together that's the same right, year. That's right. The same year, we're graduation buddies. Yeah, that's right. I graduated college after doing five years in the Navy, so that makes me super I'm not old. good at math. Yeah, I know. That's why you're COO. Exactly. You restocked the sodas. Yeah. Exactly. But in 2010, the economy was, you know, completely terrible, right? And there were no jobs. So I ended up going to grad school in Springfield, Missouri, getting, you know, getting accepted at Missouri State University. I was like, well, I'm going to postpone reality and go to grad school and defer my student loans. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, it, it seemed like a really good idea at the time. A buddy of mine was working at a software startup, and he gave me a part-time job doing data analysis work. And then three months after that, I got offered a full-time job. And then two months after that, I was made the product manager oh, wow. at this startup. This is in the insurance business. And I knew nothing about software and nothing about insurance. What was the data? Was that, that's what drew you in? The, the, the data and the fact that they were paying a decent salary that exceeded what I could have gotten uh, oh, yeah. in the private sector that, that helps, or yeah. public sector at the time. So that made a big difference. That's how I got into tech. I've, I've loved it ever since. I love that there's not this, this giant wall of credentialing around it. There's not this giant wall of like institutional uh, firewalls meant to keep out, you know, curious people who want to make life better. If you can solve problems, you can get into the tech world. And oh, yeah. It's like one of the last frontiers where you can just sort of jump right into it without knowing people, without knowing. And do you think people know that? Because a lot of people, so like I don't, I don't come from a traditional software background. My, my degree right. is in industrial engineering. 
But some of the people I know from school and just in my hometown, like they look at me as like some sort of like anomaly that I made it into tech. Well, guidance you know? counselors won't tell you this, right? And that's the thing is because, it, but they're, but they're, they're navigators for a, um, an entrenched academic system, right? Uh-huh. That's not, this is very counter to anything that they will have probably experienced. And it's, it's counter to their business model in a lot of ways. And so, yeah, you're not going to, you, you have to know somebody almost and watch them do it. Be like, oh yeah, that, that person like. Well, yeah, because like, now I've actually, as <laughs> weird as it sounds, like I've actually gone back to like my hometown and like we had a computer science program now and they were like, hey, do you want to go speak at it? So I like spoke in my high school computer science program. I was, telling them, I was like, I didn't even know this existed when I was in high school. They're like, oh no, it didn't. It started in like 2012. I was like, nice. oh yeah. Good timing. Well, that's once we got internet in East Texas. Right. That's right. Yeah. I was yes. like, oh yeah, we can use these computers yep. now. These aren't, these aren't beer coasters anymore. Oh wow. Yeah. So one other thing I want to cover off. So I have two other questions. Oh, actually, I have three. Okay. Uh, did you win a space grant? Did I what? Did you win a space grant? Or did that, you was a, that was a, a movie with Michael Jordan and uh, I think Daffy Duck. No, a spi- that's Space Jam. Oh. Grant. Oh. Um, like yes. Ulysses S. Grant? I, I, I was, yeah, just like him. I was part of a space grant. Uh, yes. Yes. I guess the short answer is yes. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Are you a part of the Space Force? Um, not yet, but I'm waiting for my letter. Oh, nice. I'm I'm waiting on mine, too. Okay, and then, so, I have one last question for you. Okay. Do you call me your best friend? Oh, every time you ask me that, yes. Okay, I ask Aaron that a lot. He does, guys, I, it's true. I, I've been telling people that my best friend was speaking at our event tonight, so I'm excited that you're coming along. Hashtag influencer. Hashtag influencer. Oh, are you going to be a Magento Master next year? I don't think so. Are, are no you one's a, asked. Are you a thought leader? Uh, I think I'm supposed to be for my job, but I take... A lot of umbrage with the term. So let's just say no, never. Are you a thought provoker? I'll take that one. Okay, that's. A I good like one. James Etlin calls himself the uh, an agitator at Magento. Oh, I saw that. That was yeah, weird. professional agitator. I, really I like that. that. I want. I'm going to steal that from James. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. I want to thank my best friend Aaron, the thought provoker, commerce I like director. I like it. Of why hashtag Hammer. influencer hashtag Magento two hashtag, hashtag real Magento. Oh, hashtag, can't use that hash, one hashtag hashtag right. hashtag hashtag awesome thanks Aaron thank you that was good what do you think not too bad I had fun it was it was a good time good questions I didn't have to answer the dinosaurs one either